you have your Bibles um, or your phone or your iPad, your devices, um, turn with me to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4, we're going to be reading um, from verse 1 to verse 10. And this is the word of the Lord. After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, choose 12 men from the people, one man from each tribe and command them, take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing firm, carrying them with you and set them down at the place where you spend the night. And so Joshua summoned the 12 men. He had selected from the Israelites one man from each tribe and said to them, go across to the ark of the Lord, your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you lift a stone unto his shoulders, one for each of the Israelites tribes, so that this will be a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? You should tell them, the water of the Jordan was cut off in front of the ark of the Lord's covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the Jordan water was cut off. Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. The Israelites did just as Joshua commanded them. The 12 men took stones from the middle of the Jordan, one for each of the Israelite tribes, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the camp and set them down there. And Joshua also set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. The stones are still there today. The priests carrying the Ark continued standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people in keeping with all that Moses had commanded Joshua. You may be seated. Father, right now, as we just rest under your word, speak to us and encourage us. Let your word transform us. Let your word meet us where we are. Um, God, we all come from different places. Some are coming with a heart full of praise and, and joy. Some are here with heavy hearts, hearts that are burdened by just the cares of this world. And some are here with hearts that are exhausted and tired. And some are here with hearts that are skeptical. And they really want to know, do you even exist and do you even care? And so we all come from different places. God, I pray that you would meet us. You know exactly what we need to hear. Pray that you would meet us. And we also pray for our church families. There are so many things that are happening. We celebrated a, 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 a vow we knew yesterday. But then at the same time, we are mourning death. And so we pray for a member in our family who's just passed on, Marianne and, um, and, and, 
and we know that she's in your presence right now, but we know that there are grieving families and that needs to be comforted. And so, God, we pray that you would comfort those who need you right now. And I pray that as a church, we would surround them and be your arms to comfort them. And so we pray for that family. And we don't know what else that's going on. We may not know what else that's going on in our church, but God, I pray that you'd meet those people who are struggling with different things um, because we know that you're a good God who is faithful. And so we pray that this word would meet us and do that work for us. All this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're continuing our series on the spiritual discipline, and today we're going to be talking about the spiritual discipline of journaling, right? Um, But before we do that, I just want to say a couple of things. For the past nine weeks, we have been talking about these spiritual disciplines, and pretty much we've been giving you a, a list of things to practice that can help you deepen your relationship with God and help you grow in your faith. Now, the goal of this series is not to give you an inventory list of things to do or things to add to your life to become a better Christian because Christianity is not mechanical, right? Christianity is not mechanical. So there's no 12 steps to becoming a better Christian, right? Or there's no list of things that we need to follow to earn favor from God. And you can easily listen to this series and think that we're giving you a spiritual formula to getting blessings from God or being in right standing with God. And that is not what we're trying to do. That's not what we're trying to do. That's not the goal of the spiritual discipline, and that's not the goal of the series. The spiritual disciplines are not a list of do's and don'ts. Favor with God or being loved by God, being accepted by God, is not based on how well you perform. It's not based on your performance. It's based on the performance of Christ. It's based on how well he performed for us. Jesus' life, or sinless life, Jesus' sinless life, the Bible says, was credited to us. We were spiritually bankrupt and his spirit, sinless life was deposited in our account. And this perfect life that Jesus lived on earth, he performed that for us on our behalf so that we would not have to perform. And this is what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21. Paul says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then we also read in Romans chapter 5, verse 19, where Paul says again, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, but by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And so the perfect life of Christ was performed for us, for you, for me, so that we would not have to perform. But then not only that, but the perfect death of Christ was performed on our behalf so that we would not have to live under this constant burden of trying to please God. This constant grueling pressure of always having to be perfect or 
always having to make sure we're doing the right things, of always making sure that we're living up to a perfect standard. Jesus died to free us from that. This pressure of having to be perfect. Jesus died to free us from that. In his death, the perfect sacrifice met all of God's standards. And his perfect death on our behalf was performed so that we would not have to perform. And this is why favor with God is not based on our performance. It's based on the performance of Christ by grace through faith in his saving works. His sinless life and his perfect death was performed on our behalf to establish a relationship with God. And so now we could rest. We can rest and not have to constantly perform. And so this is the goal of the series, and this is the goal that we're trying to aim at. Our goal is not to disciple people to be people who are constantly working to earn God's favor, but we're, we're hoping that this would be something that gives you rest, rest in God's love. And so out of God's love, we live out these spiritual disciplines. And so trying to earn God's love or his favor by doing these spiritual discipline will only lead you to legalism. It will only lead you to piety or churchiness. It's a word, I had to look that up. <laughs> right? Churchiness. You'll walk away knowing the right things to say and the right things to do, but you'll be affectionless. Discipline without love is tiring. A Christian life without affection for God is really exhausting. It's exhausting. And so my son, for example, my son, he's 10 years old. My son loves doing things to get my attention, right? Anything he does, he wants, he, he's looking to the side, is daddy looking? Because he wants my attention and he wants my affection. But here's the thing. My son could spend his entire life trying to do the right things to show me that he's my son, but never rest in the reality that he is my son. Never rest in the reality and never enjoy just being my son because he is constantly trying to earn that. And I think this is where we are, many of us are right now. And I think this is the reason why we see so many people are walking away from the faith or going through this deconstruction process or just exhausted with Christianity because they are not resting in God's love. Because we're so conditioned to this reward system, right? You perform, you earn, you perform, you earn. We're so conditioned by this reward system that we approach God the same way with this reward system, and eventually it's exhausting. It's tiring. It's tiring, one, because God doesn't want your performance. And then two, your performance is never good enough. It's never good enough. And the Bible calls this reward system that we come to God with religion. And religion 
eventually will be exhausting. And the Bible described religion like a rope tied around your neck, suffocating the life out of you. And so this is why in Matthew chapter 11, 28, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so God never intended for life with him to be exhausting or suffocating. And this is the mistake I think a lot of people are making and people who are leaving the church, leaving Christianity because they're associating Jesus with religion. But Jesus says, come to me. Don't come to religion, but come to me. And he says, if you come to me, I will give you life. I will give you rest for your soul. And the burden that I give you will be light. And the yoke that I give you will be easy. And so Jesus is totally radical, radically different from religion. And if we are associating Jesus with religion, then we really don't know the real, the real Jesus, the right Jesus. And so... When we know the right Jesus, we would know that Jesus never made his love for us conditional based on how well we perform. And we see this beautifully painted for us in Romans chapter five, verse eight, where Paul says, while we were yet sinners, your performance sucks. It, it was terrible. While you were yet sinners, Christ died. He didn't have to wait until you got your life together. But while you were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. But then he goes on again in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you and I are saved through faith, not because of our performance, not because of works, not because of religion. And so if you are here today and haven't given your life to Jesus... I want to ask you, have you experienced the real Jesus or are you experiencing religion? Have you experienced the real Jesus, this Jesus, or are you experiencing something else? Or if you are here today and have given your life to Jesus, but you find yourself walking away, or you find yourself probably exhausted with living with Jesus, living for Jesus. I wanna ask you, have you forgotten the real Jesus? Have you forgotten the tangible experiences that you've had with this real Jesus? Now, um, what does this have to do with journaling? I wanted to start off this way because it's very easy for us to forget sometimes the experiences that we've had with Jesus. Oftentimes, we are faced with new challenges, and if we don't look back at the past experiences that we've had with God, how he's guided us in the past, how he's protected us in the past, how he's uh, provided for us in the past, 
or how he's been present and active in all of our situation, then we will forget his faithfulness. We will forget his faithfulness. And so the spiritual discipline of journaling can help us build a foundation of trust and confidence in God so that we don't have spiritual amnesia, right? So as we revisit and we remind ourselves through this discipline of journaling, as we revisit and remind ourselves of God's faithfulness throughout our lives and how he's provided for us, it gives us strength and courage to face the present and future with hopes and confidence in God. And so as we journal, this is a practice that we should consider to remember, to remember God and his faithfulness and his power so that we don't have spiritual amnesia. And so the text that we just read, Joshua chapter four, verses one through 10, first of all, has nothing in there that mentioned journaling, right? And so, in fact, the Bible doesn't really talk about journaling at all. And you're like, okay, so why are we talking about journaling, right? The Bible really doesn't talk about journaling. So unlike the disciplines that we've covered so far, Bible intake, fasting, and, and praying, we see all those modeled or uh, encouraged or practiced in the Bible. But when it comes to journaling, you don't see it at all. And so I wrestled with this sermon because I'm like, man, what am I going to say about journaling? And where do we find any encouragement in journaling? And so this is why I wanted to rest in this particular chapter, because throughout the Bible, first of all, throughout the Bible, even though we don't see journal mentioned, journaling mentioned, we see principles of journaling. We see it throughout the Bible. For example, when we read Psalms, when we read Proverbs, when we read Limitation, those books those really could be viewed as journal entries. So for example, Psalms. Psalms, we see all types of entries reflecting the thoughts and the feelings and experience of these authors, right? You see entries expressing praise, sadness, despair, or anger towards God. We can even see entries about the authors struggling with difficult situations such as sicknesses, or maybe death or persecution. Right? And so throughout the Psalms, you see confession, journal entries where the psalmist is, is confessing their sins to God and asking for forgiveness, or entries just reflecting on God's word. You see that throughout the Psalms. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes are all entries about wisdom, practical insight that these authors gain that they want to share with us so that we can learn from. Right? And then you have Lamentation. Lamentation is a whole journal about deep grief and suffering where the author is expressing raw emotions, being real with God as he wrestles with difficult questions about the nature of suffering and the character of God. And then you have the Song of Solomon, right? This is more like a diary, right? When I was young, I thought, Women wrote in diaries and guys wrote in journals, right? But then I realized it was the same thing and I realized I was carrying a diary. And so, in fact, um, when my wife and I, we were dating, uh, we both wrote diaries, journal, diary, 
right, for each other. And when we got engaged, we actually exchanged it. And so I got to see the thoughts that she had towards me while we were dating, and I got to share my thoughts to her um, and through our writing for each other. Um, I actually keep a journal for my kids, right? So if I die now, they would have my thoughts towards them or um, hope to give, them to, to give it to them when they get older so they can know my thoughts for them. But when you read the Song of Solomon, this is a man, King Solomon's diary or journal expressing his deep, intimate affection towards his lover. But you even have like books like Luke and Acts, which are all can be viewed as journal entries reflecting on the life of Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, all these books are not just journal entries or just personal expressions and, and personal experiences just written down um, on paper, but these are inspired words from God. In the same way, your spiritual discipline of journaling is not just you writing down, oh, let me remember to go to Home Depot today, right? It's not just writing down random thoughts, but journaling is a place to gain perspective, to process your emotions, to deepen your understanding so that we can be aware of what God is actively doing in our lives. But then not only that, but it's a place where we can express our thoughts and our feelings without fear of judgment or criticism. It's also a place where we can be honest and vulnerable, sharing our joy or our sorrows, our hopes, our fears, and everything in between. Our journals can serve as a record of our journey with God. Looking back our entries, at our entries, we can see how God has matured us over time and how God has deepened our faith. And so journaling is a discipline that could be very beneficial to us so that we do not forget God's working in our lives or so that we do not miss it or take it for granted. Take for granted all the things that God is doing in our lives. So let's go ahead and dive into John chapter, or Joshua chapter four, which gives us this principle. Joshua, we read, instructed the Israelites to use something tangible like a stone to be a memorial to constantly look back to to remember God's faithfulness. And so the Israelites were crossing into new territories, they were facing new challenges, and these stones were to remind them of this journey with God. And so when they faced new challenges, moving forward, they would not forget how God displayed his power how God protected them, how God guided them. And so these stones were meant to be an anchor to keep them from wavering in their faith, right? So I wanna give you a quick context of this chapter. One, Joshua was called to lead the Israelites to a land that was promised to them or, or promised to Abraham. God promised to give their forefathers, Abraham, this land. And this land was called the promised land. This was the land of Canaan, which was supposed to be their own land because the children of Israel never had a land of their own to claim. And so here's the thing. God promised Abraham this land in 2000 BC. 
right, around 2000 BC. Joshua lived around 1400 BC. Now, if you do the math, that's about 600 years between when God promised Abraham this land to when now Joshua is finally coming to see the glimpse of this land. So this is 600 years between the time when God promised this. I don't know about you, but if it takes 600 years for God to fulfill a promise to me, I'm out. <laughs> I'm done, right? I'm literally dead. <laughs> and don't try to Christianize it. You know how we Christianize things? Like when we, we're like, God, you know, man, just wait a little longer. God is coming. He's waiting. It's 600 years. How long do you want me to wait? I'm dead. Decomposing, right? And I just want you to really think about that and put yourself in Abraham's shoes. And I want you to personalize this. Have you ever been so convinced, so convinced, so confident that you heard a promise from God or you felt it? And now it's been years, years, and you're still waiting for God to fulfill it. Years. You've been waiting, you've been trusting, you've been hoping, and nothing. Nothing is happening. Years have gone by, and it looks like the opportunities are fading away. Right? And not only are the opportunities fading away, but your trust in God is probably fading away as well. Right? You're looking and you're seeing nothing is happening. You're probably trusting God less and less, and the longer you wait, the more skeptical you're becoming and questioning whether or not, man, did I, did I really hear from God? <laughs> right? I thought I heard, but maybe I didn't. Right? Maybe, you know, you start questioning, did you really hear? And maybe the longer you wait, the more disappointed you're starting to become with God. And the more disappointed you are, the more hesitant you will be to trust him the next time. Have you ever been there? I believe Abraham heard this promise from God and he believed that this promise was probably gonna be fulfilled in his lifetime. And he died, never having to see this promised land. But then not only that, but generation after generation, probably children of Abraham that he probably told, hey, God promised us a land. Those children died, never seeing this promise. Generation after generation after generation died and never seeing this promise. And we get to verse one and two in Joshua. And it starts off with the word now. At this point, 600 years later, now it came about when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourself 12 men from the people, one man from each tribe and command them saying, take up from your, for yourself 12 stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan from that place where the priest's feet are standing firm and carry them over with you and lay them down 
in the lodging place where they would lodge tonight. Finally, after 600 years, the descendants of Abraham could see this promised land. It's crazy. But then, as they were approaching this promised land, another obstacle is in their way, this Jordan River. And so, you know, as I was reading this, I'm thinking, man, 600 years of waiting, and now you finally come close to this promised land, and then God placed another obstacle in the way. And so as I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, like, God, why do you do that? <laughs> right? Why do you always do that? Why does it seem like everything is a test? Why do you always seem to make things so difficult? Because God could have took them in a different route. God could have took them away around the river. But then God chose to lead them so they can face this river. It's like, why do you do that, God? God could have made this route a lot easier where they would not have to deal with this obstacle. An easier route. Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we all want? We want an easier route. We want to follow God, following God to be easy. We want following God to be painless. We want following God to have no struggle. We don't like our fate to be tested. We all want the easiest route when we are following God. But instead, God took them to the river. And not only that, but he took them to the river unprepared and unequipped. They didn't know to prepare for the river. They didn't have boats carrying it with them. And so if they tried to cross the river on their own, they probably would have drowned. And so God brought them to this obstacle unprepared and unequipped where they had nothing but God to trust in. But then what we find here is that difficult routes, difficult routes lead to a greater demonstration of God's faithfulness and power to build greater faith in us. Difficult routes are good for us because it builds greater faith in us. It helps us see greater demonstrations of God's power and faithfulness. Don't be afraid of those difficult routes. And so we see what God does. God split this river in half and he made a way where there seems to be no way. He made a way for them. He created a pathway for them to cross through on dry ground to the other side. And what we learn from this is these obstacles was not meant, they were not meant to cause the Israelites to lose hope, but this obstacle was meant to give them an unwavering hope by witnessing the power of God. And it served as a reminder to the Israelites of God's faithfulness to deliver them from all situations that they may face moving forward. And this gave them strength and courage to face future challenges. And so we see the testings that are in front of us right now 
The thing that you're probably sitting with right now, that you're like probably wondering, God, why do you always do this? Why did you place this in my life? Why are you allowing me to go through this challenge? Why am I facing this right now? These testings are not intended to drown you, but to ground you. It's to ground you in faith. Look at verse three. God says, take up for yourself 12 stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan from the place where the feet of the priests are standing firm. Their feet are standing firm in the middle of this river. In this middle of this great danger, difficulty, uncertainty, these priests are standing firm. The walls around them, water could easily collapse and drown them. In the middle of the situation, their feet are standing firm. Every step they took was a step of faith because they could have easily drowned, but their feet were standing firm. They were unwavering in their faith. What you may be going through right now, again, it's not to drown you, but to ground you, to give you firmness in your faith, unwavering faith. And so stand firm in the midst of that, and you will witness God's unbelievable strength to keep them at bay, to hold it, for you to walk through the other side. And so we read this. The work that God is doing and the testing of the Israelites and the testing of you and I is to give you courage, is to give you resilience, is to give you stronger faith. And even when it may seem sometime easier to give up or to give in, right? We remember, when we remember the power of the God that is with us and the God that is present. He is with us, he is active, he is faithful, he is good. When we remember that, it helps us to stand firm. And now, I love this story because when you read it, you see this is not the first time that God did this miracle. And Trent read that earlier God did the same exact miracle in Exodus chapter 14 for Moses. You remember that story? Moses and the Israelites were fleeing from Pharaoh, from the Egyptians, and they were chasing them. And they got to the Red Sea, and they're like, God, what are you doing? Like, you told us to go this way, but then now, like, there's a river in front of us that we can't go anywhere, and then you got this army chasing us they're behind us and like, we're stuck. What are we gonna do? And then we see God splits the Red Sea that first time and they made it through. And Pharaoh and his armies were trying to make it through, but they drowned. But the Israelites made it through to the other side. And so this is not the first time that God did this. And so what we see here, experiences like this you don't want to forget, and you don't want to take it for granted. 
If he did it before, I love that song, he can do it again. So you don't want to forget the faithfulness of God. And this is why we want to record these things so that we don't forget. Verse six, and God told the Israelites, let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask you later saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordans were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan was cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. And so we see that these stones were intended to be a memorial. And now a memorial in the Bible is a tangible reminder of a significant moment or a significant event where God displayed his faithfulness and power. And so we see this throughout the Bible of memorials being set up as a tangible reminder of God's faithfulness. So we read in Genesis chapter eight, verse 20, and Noah, right? After the flood, he set up a memorial to remember the faithfulness of God, to protect them and preserve him from the flood. And so he created a memorial and there he worshiped God. Exodus chapter 12, verse 14, the Passover. We celebrate that even till today which is a memorial to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness of freeing the Israelites from slavery, bondage in Egypt, his faithfulness in protect them, protecting the people from the plague. We remember that memorial. In the New Testament, we have baptism and communion as a memorial to remember the death and the resurrection of Christ. This is a side plug. If you're not a if you're a Christian and you're not baptized, I wanna ask why not? It's a beautiful memorial in your life to remember what God has done in your life. And it's also a beautiful memorial to testify and proclaim to people what God has done in your life, taking you from death to life and making you new. And why don't we want to do that? And so this is a plug on Easter. We will have baptism. So far we have two, and we would love to have more. And so if you are not baptized, yes, we wanna celebrate that with you and make that a special memorial for you. And so there's a way you can do that. I think it's online, or you can talk to someone in the back. But those are great memorials that we have. But here's the thing, the greatest and the ultimate memorial that we as Christians have is the cross. Right, which is the greatest memorial for us as Christians to remember the tangible love of God displayed for us, right? So we have these memorials. We have these things to constantly look back to, to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. And so here in verse six, God said to Joshua, have the people pick up these stones. This is the memorial, pick up these stones and place them in your house, right? You pass by the kitchen, you see the stone, you're like, oh yeah, I remember why that stone is there, right? But then he goes on, he says, not just for you, but then to your kids, for your future. Because at some point, these kids will probably grow up and not know the experiences that you've had with God. And then so when they see the stone, like, mom, like, what, what is this rock doing here? Like, it, the reason why this rock is here 
is because of what God has done and he's faithful. And so you point your kids back, right? This is what he wanted, the memorials to be something that you can look back to or in the future, you don't forget. Here's the thing though, I think oftentimes God gives us these stones to pick up in our lives, right? Like in verse six, but we never pick them up. We never pick them up or we just leave them behind. What do I mean by that? Verse six, the stones were to be a reminder of God's provision, how he's been faithful. We could think about these stones that God placed in our lives that we probably never pick up or we just kind of skip over, like blessings, answered prayers, moments of clarity, moments of insight, moments where God revealed himself to you. But oftentimes we don't pick them up because we take them for granted. We miss this opportunity to see the faithfulness of God but we take it for granted. We look at, 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 at those moments like, oh, it's just a coincidence. It just happened. Like, yeah, it was God. I prayed for this and it happened, but then we don't even remember our prayers. And then we take it for granted. We miss those opportunities where God is demonstrating his faithfulness in our life and we take those for granted. And oftentimes we miss what God is doing. How many times has God displayed his power in your life? And think about it, right? We took it for granted. And then sometimes we wonder, we're like, man, God, are you working in my life? Like, God, are you working? Like, we're, we're asking, like, God, are you working? Are you moving? Are you active? Right? The thing is, it's not that God is not active or God is not moving. The problem is we're not remembering we're not remembering. We're not picking up these stones and we're not storing them in our hearts. We're taking them for granted, right? We sometimes ask God to give us more signs. God, give me more revelation. God, give me more answered prayer. Give me more to prove that you are faithful. And God doesn't give us more because he has given us enough but we are not storing them and we're not remembering because there are times God has come through for us and answered our prayers, but then now new challenges come and we're faced with some setbacks and then we lose hope and we ask God, are you with me? God, show me more. And we forget some of the faithfulness that he's demonstrated to us in the past. There are times where God has provided for us. He's giving you that job. He's opened that door that you knew you couldn't open yourself. And then now you're facing some new financial issues and you're like, oh, God, where are you? We forget that this is the same God who helped us before and we doubt his ability to provide now. There are times where God has healed us in the past but then we take them for granted. We overlooked his power in healing. We prayed and he answered, but we forget, or we took it for granted. 
But then now we're faced with new challenges, health challenges, and we ask God, God, give me more proof that you are a healer. But then we doubt his ability to heal because we forgot that he's done that before. He's healed us before. There are times where God has guided us, leading us to make the best decisions, decisions that are good for us to avoid harmful ones. But then now he's telling you no to some things that you really want. And then now you're doubting, like God, are you withholding good from me? But he's guided you in the past and kept you from harm. But then now we're doubting that he's withholding good. How many times has God forgiven us and shown us grace? But then now you're facing some new struggles, some new temptations, or maybe we've made some mistakes that we probably thought we would never make, and now we're doubting his love, and we're doubting his ability to forgive. And we're like, you know what, God, this, this one sin, I, 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 I don't think you'll forgive. And we're doubting that, but then he showed his ability to forgive in the past, and we're forgetting his mercy, and he doubt his ability to do it again. Even though we are forgetful people, <laughs> we are people who suffer from spiritual amnesia, God is still gracious to us. He's still gracious to us. And this is why he tells the Israelites, he tells us to take up these memorials and store it in our homes and store it in our hearts so that we don't forget. Verse six, it starts off, it says, let this be a sign among you. Listen, if God doesn't give us one more sign, one more revelation, one more miracle, one more answered prayer, today or this entire year, right, to prove his present, his active, his good, his faithfulness in our life, if God doesn't give us one more proof, God has given us the greatest sign that is more than enough. And that one great sign that we can always look back to is Jesus. And if we ever forget God's faithfulness, if we ever find ourselves wavering, we look back to Jesus and Jesus who is our great rock. Jesus is our solid rock. Jesus is our strong, reliable foundation to anchor our faith. He is our refuge. He is our salvation. He is our stronghold. He is the rock that we build our lives on. Jesus is the one in the same way God split the seas to allow the Israelites to walk through to claim their promise, Jesus is the one who split the veil to allow us to come to the holy of holies, to have relationship with our promise, our great promise. Jesus is the one. I love Matthew chapter 27. That gives us this image. 
Matthew chapter 27, 50, it says, then Jesus cried on the cross. He cried out again with a loud voice and yelled up his spirit. And behold, the curtain in the temple that separated man from the holy of holies was torn into two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rock split. And Jesus made a way for sinners, you and I, to have access to our great promise, God. And so, this is what we are to remember if we should ever find ourselves wavering in our faith. We have a great rock to look back to. This is our sign. This is our memorial. We journal that experience in our heart so that we don't forget and we take it for granted. And this is why we want to remember to always look back and to see the faithfulness of God in our lives. I wanna do something um, okay. with the time that we have left. Uh, the host team, if you are ready, um, we're gonna do a little exercise of journaling, right, for a few minutes. Um, uh, if the host team can, if you need any paper or something to write with, you can raise your hands. If not, if you have your phone, you can use your phone. That probably would be easier. Your phone or anything, your tablets, uh, devices. Um, a couple things I want you to do. Um, I'm not sure if that's on the screen, but I want you to take the time to do this. I want you to write out praises to God, right? Take some time just to journal. And I want you to write one-sentence praises, one-sentence praises. God, I praise you because you are, or God, I thank you because you are. God, I praise you because you are good. And be very specific about them. God, I praise you. Be and then think of God's character. God, I praise you because you're powerful. How was he powerful? Man, he met me in this particular situation. God, I thank you because you are good. How was he good? Because he demonstrated. God, I thank you because you are a healer, right? Think about like specific characters of God and specific ways that God demonstrated that character in your life. And try to write as many as possible. So we're gonna go for about, uh, let's say about five minutes and then I'll come back and we'll lead you to something else. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.